Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. When the fear hit, a lot of people froze, and there's a lot of talk about wait for a vaccine. There's either nothing to see here or wait forever. And that's where we stepped in and said, neither of those options are right. You can reopen, you just have to be really thoughtful about it and focus on health and safety. That's Matt Maddox. He's the CEO of Wynn Resorts. Although they were the first of Las Vegas's casino resorts to close for the pandemic, Maddox insisted that for the first two months of quarantine, they continue to pay full wages, including missed tips, to their 15,000 full and part-time employees. He spoke recently with Milken Institute and Faster Cures Chairman Mike Milken on Tuesday, May 19th. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Mike. It's nice to be here. You today are running a company that has among the world's leading resorts in both Las Vegas and Macau. And since you have now become one of the world's leading experts on many of these matters on how to open a hotel, how to protect your employees, how to make your customers feel safe, I look forward to sharing these lessons learned from your properties around the world, particularly in China, and how the culture at Wynn Resorts drives your relationship with customers and, most important, your employees. So let's start with Wynn Macau. Tell us a little about your facilities and tell us what happened in Macau. Sure. So... Macau is a special administrative region connected to Guangdong, about 19 miles from Hong Kong, connected by bridge. We've invested $7 billion there. We have two hotels between them, 2,700 hotel rooms, a couple hundred thousand square feet of retail, large gaming and entertainment facilities. We have 14,000 employees there. The vast majority are local or from the PRC. And we've been the leading luxury resort in Macau. That city's had over $50 billion invested in it in the last 10 years with new resorts. And it's really the gaming capital of the world. In Macau, what we noticed was in late December and early January of this year, there began to be quite a bit of fear about what was going on in Wuhan. And what I realized on January 23rd, when the lockdown happened, was my leaders over there literally feared for their lives. And that made me realize how serious this was. And so we went out and at that point engaged a team of experts from Georgetown and John Hopkins to begin studying this disease in the event that it would come to the United States. We closed our facilities in Macau in early February for two weeks. And as we reopened those around February 20th, we began to see our business come back quite rapidly. Almost 30% of our volumes were back, but then they had a second wave of cases. And so Macau, Hong Kong, and Guangdong all instituted 14-day quarantines if you're going to travel between them, which effectively shut down tourism again. 14,000 employees are fearful for their life. They have lived through SARS-1. And now what do you do, Matt? And that's before it was really a conversation in the United States. So what we did after we hired our experts was work very carefully with the government in the closing down the facility. And then we began immediately putting together a plan that as we would reopen, 
it would be one of the safest places that people could go. Everything from thermal cameras to measure temperature at entrances, every employee has PPE, every customer is given a mask, sanitization in every area, every hour, UV technology in public bathrooms, electro mist spray throughout the facility, and lots of training for our people so that they could feel comfortable coming back to work. And I would say the training, the daily training about hand sanitization and why what we're doing creates a safe environment has made our employees there now feel very safe and happy to come to work. So that lesson learned is exactly what we then implemented here in the United States. Be early, put out a very detailed plan, which we did well over a month ago, and begin training your people in advance about why it will be safe to be at win. So Matt, you made the decision to keep all of your employees on your payroll. And 14,000 employees in Macau, how many in Las Vegas? Between Las Vegas and our new facility in Massachusetts, it's 15,000. So roughly 12,000 in Las Vegas and a little over 3,000 in Massachusetts. One of the things you and I have talked about is having the right capital structure for a company. And one of the things I commend you and the team is you had built the right capital structure, not knowing anything about a coronavirus, but creating liquidity for the companies, pushing out your maturities on your debt, which has allowed you to weather the storm. Why did you make the decision? in the United States to keep the 15,000 employees on your payroll? I believe that an investment in culture right now is going to pay over the long term. So to tell 15,000 hourly workers that there's a pandemic coming, you need to stay home, and you've been furloughed, I felt was a wrong thing to do and the wrong thing for our shareholders. And so what we've done by keeping our employees engaged is we were able to move quickly and continue to train on what the new normal would be like. We've created a culture where people feel like it is family. And in the end, it's our employees that make our customers happy. It's not the building. So I wanted to invest in our people for as long as we could. It can't go on forever, but it continue to invest in them because I do think that they will provide a significantly better experience for our corporate clients and our customers as we begin to reopen. Matt, when did the hotel Encore close in Massachusetts? In the middle of March, I believe March 13th. And when did Wynn Resorts Encore close in Las Vegas? Just a couple days later. And in fact, Mike, um, I encouraged the regulators almost two weeks in advance that I anticipated we would be closing which seems sort of foreign to everybody then, but I'd lived through the fear that occurs as the virus begins to spread in China. So we actually closed our facilities in advance of the regulators or the state asking us to close, which then did quickly lead to everyone else closing. But we did it because it was the right thing to do, and we had to keep our people safe and begin the process of planning for the new future. One of the things you and I talked about, Matt, years ago, was this theory I had in financing beginning in the late 60s that the most important asset a company has was not on the balance sheet, and that was its employees. 
you have some of the most unique, exciting properties in the world that you operate. You've set a different standard in the creation of those properties and the investment in those properties. But anyone can come in and see what your properties look like and duplicate them. It might take two years. It might take four years physically. But what you cannot duplicate is service and the unique relationship the employees have with the guests. And so this strategy of yours, how much has it cost per day to maintain your teams over the past two months? It's cost approximately $3 million a day in North America to maintain all 15,000 people at their current levels. It's a large investment in our culture, but it has allowed us to prepare a plan in advance, and it has allowed our employees to be excited to come back to work. They want to come back. This idea that it's better to be furloughed or stay home, our people, we've surveyed them, 85% are excited to come back to work when we can reopen. So I think that it's the investment will definitely pay off. Three million a day in the United States. And what does it cost you in China per day? Roughly two million. Five million a day, 150 million a month. Talk to us a little bit about how you built your capital structure to be able to withstand that. Our capital structure has always been based on making sure that you have debt with long maturities. You're not in the business of bank deals with covenants for these events exactly, and lots of liquidity at the parent company. So we have debt on our facilities, but our parent company is always debt-free and keeps the cash, which allows us to be much more flexible. That's something I learned from you 15 years ago. And when you told me that balance sheets allow you to keep your culture and to keep your brand in place, it's true. In the end, this is what's allowing us to be who we are. So your employees are in your payroll. They have a relationship in your training. Yes. And what you've learned in China, in some ways, you've been able to apply here. And you've put out a more than 20-page report on how to reopen. Let's go look at China for our listeners here. What have we learned in China about the potential for reopening? If I remember correctly, 15 minutes from your hotels in China, there's a major amusement park that has reopened. What have you learned from that experience? The Guangdong province, which is in southern China and Macau is actually connected to, has seen rapid activity over the recent weeks. We've noticed that restaurants in the Guangdong province are full. The Chimlong Park which is a mixture of SeaWorld and Disneyland. And its capacity is typically 50,000 people a day. The parks, just like Disney and Shanghai, were restricted to 30% capacity. And over the May holiday, they had 15,000 people each day. Zhuhai, which is the bordering city to Macau, had 850,000 tourists over the three days and 164,000 people staying overnight because Guangdong has reinstituted travel packages within the province. So we've seen a real appetite for people to want to be together, to want to be out, and to want to be active. So we're actually quite optimistic that as Hong Kong and Macau fold into the Greater Bay Area travel plans, that our business will come back quite fast. 
So when are you preparing to open these luxury hotels in Macau? We've actually reopened them. There's just no customers. So it is the ultimate play days or training um, because we want to make sure our employees are out of their house. They want to be there. They were tired of being at home. And so we're doing lots of things that we could never do when we had customers. And the hope is that later this month, the individual visa schemes will begin to open up for China travel into Macau. And Matt, what have you done since you've been open for employees? Theoretically, a person could come into the hotel today. They just can't travel from any other place in China. Does that mean 50, 100 people are coming in a day for dinner or lunch or breakfast? What is happening? We're seeing probably 3,000 meals with lots of locals coming in, eating on a daily basis. In terms of our casino, you're exactly right. It's a couple hundred, which are people that went through the quarantine or never left and went back to China at most. So in the past, we would see 16 or 17,000 people a day at each of our property in our casinos. And we're now down to a couple hundred who are just there and staying. When we reopen, we will not be at full capacity. There will be restrictions and social distancing. So I see us gradually building from a couple hundred people a day to a few thousand and then sort of building into the summer, assuming that the benchmarks on the disease stay in line. So we do anticipate that just based on what we're seeing in Guangdong, people's mentality of getting back together and being compliant, but getting back together and resuming their lives is clearly happening in that part of the world. What you've learned in China, how are you applying it in Vegas? And how are you going to apply it in Massachusetts in terms of reopening? And what do you think your timing is? We took all of our learnings in China, and then we used our experts from Georgetown and John Hopkins to develop what would be an appropriate United States plan. And we posted that plan over a month ago for everyone to see. And it includes department by department, area by area, exactly how we're going to operate in a very safe way. Clearly, we won't be opening mass gathering places like nightclubs or conventions. That wouldn't work. But uh, the benchmarks here in Nevada from disease growth, ICU capacity, and testing positivity are looking very good. In fact, we were actually the first to go to the University Medical Center and say, we would like to test all of our employees and we'll pay for it. So just last week, we were able to get through over 6,000 of our employees. We had eight positives, all mildly or asymptomatic. And that has started a trend. Other employers have joined us. And in fact, the University Medical Center is going to perform 60,000 tests of casino employees. So those types of public-private partnerships allowed our state to get moving in a faster way. We also gave the Southern Nevada Health District 110 of our call center operators to do contact tracing. So working together with the state has allowed Las Vegas, I think, to move faster. And Boston's clearly been very hard hit by the disease. And so they just announced a phased opening. And we would be in phase three, which feels like it's a month to two months away. Are you going to have the same tracing of customers? So one, you've tested all your employees. If I come into a hotel, 
I know that all the employees have been tested. What about other customers in the hotel? The University Medical Center is setting up an on-site clinic in our hotel for anyone to get a test, any customer. If someone is not feeling well or has a temperature and we scan it, we will ask them to get a test and then they will need to be quarantined until that test result comes back. And we've prepared a place for that. In the event it's a customer that just walks in from off the street, we will direct them to facilities throughout Las Vegas for them to get a test. So we have very specific protocols in place to ensure that if there could be a person that is feeling sick or has a fever, that they're quickly quarantined and tested immediately. And then we contact the Southern Nevada Health District to ensure that contact tracing can begin. We're also keeping all of our surveillance footage for two weeks longer than normal in the event that a customer goes back home and we need to just look through what their contact or places that they would have been. I think other companies are not doing this, like the large grocery stores, et cetera. But we're trying to prepare for any question or anything that we may need to do. Are you going to take the temperature of every single person that comes into these facilities? When we open, we are. So technology is moving very fast. We will all see where we are in a couple of months, but we have these cameras installed at every entrance, and we've actually linked it to our security system. If someone registers a fever and they walk past, we can still pick them up. So we have a pretty sophisticated system in place, and we're going to do that as we open, and we're going to work with the Southern Nevada Health District, and we'll see what happens. What's interesting is talking to people in China, and I talked to a very large amusement park just yesterday in China that are doing temperature checks, they're getting less than 1% of the people coming in registering with a fever. On the second time, it goes down to less than half a percent on the second reading. So I think that it's the right thing to do. I think it'll make customers feel safe and it'll make our employees feel safe that we are doing everything we can to create an environment that's fun, but safe. You are part of a microcosm. Most of the people in your facilities don't necessarily live in Las Vegas every day. How are you going about attracting visitors? What are your expectations? Do you expect more people to come by car? My guess is you'll have a substantial number of local people coming into the restaurants. But with air travel, what have you done with the airlines in these discussions? I'm in constant contact with the airlines about what they're doing and how they're going to help people feel safe to travel again, which they just do not right now. One of the largest carriers into Las Vegas, we're going to be partnering with them with a stay at wind program. But clearly when we open, there will be no convention business and that's 30% of our base and it will be drive-in. So we're focused on the Arizona market, the Southern California market, which typically makes up about 30% of our business. And I think that that's the way we will have to get started, given the dramatic reduction in air capacity, over 65% reduction in air capacity into Las Vegas. We just want to get started, get our people moving, and we will be the only property that will be opening all of our restaurants and all of our facilities, because when a customer comes, I want them to have choice. When you reopen, will your employees be wearing masks? They will. Every employee is required to wear a mask, and we're providing them. And what about your customers? Will you require them to wear a mask? 
Currently in Nevada, it's strongly encouraged, and that's where we are now. So we will be handing every hotel guest their own mask and hand sanitizer. And as you're coming into the facility as a non-hotel guest, we will also be providing masks throughout the property. And we're going to be encouraging people to wear their mask. I think this is a big issue around the country right now. And so we're going to have masks everywhere and strongly encouraging people to wear them. So, Matt, I know you have interacted with a number of large employers in the United States and in China on best practices, how to open. I know you've become a fixture on the digital lecture circuit with many companies reaching out to you and your team because of your experience. What has surprised you and what have you learned over the past four to five months about reopening, about safety that you did not know or were surprised to find out? I think the speed at which people can go from this is not that big of a deal to fear. And then what I was surprised by is when the fear hit, especially in the United States, a lot of people froze. And there's a lot of talk about wait for a vaccine. There's either nothing to see here or wait forever. And that's where we stepped in and said, neither of those options are right. We've learned from China that you can reopen. You just have to be really thoughtful about it and go department by department and focus on health and safety. And once you can start that conversation, everything starts to change. And so what I found is people love information during these times. They love to hear about what everyone else is doing. There's no pride in authorship. We're learning every day from our competitors and from other people about different things that we can be doing. What surprised me is the openness and collaboration between airlines, hotels, theme parks, Las Vegas. There's this sense that we're all in it together. And we realize now that fear can't rule, but we have to be really smart about what we're doing. Man, I know you and I have spoken about this for a number of months here, about the benefits of open communications and the fact that you as the CEO are talking to employees in almost every department at almost every level. What have you learned and how have people reacted when the CEO calls them at home and ask how they're doing? I began that shortly after we closed. I get a list of a couple hundred employees a week and their cell phones and just call to check on them. At first, 20% of the calls, they were trying to figure out if it was a joke until I uh, talked to them a little bit because uh, they didn't think it was me. And they immediately began talking about what's going on in their lives. And so everyone's missing that human to human interaction. And so we would talk about their kids, their family, how hard it is to do online school, how hard it is to stay home, but they knew that they needed to. There would be occasions when I'd call someone that called one of our housekeepers once and she said to me, I guess you heard, and I hadn't, but her husband had passed away from COVID-19 the day before. And so then you really get to feel the firsthand effect of how dangerous this is. So what I've learned is the human-to-human -human contact is irreplaceable in a time of when people are really scared and they don't know what to do. And I also think that employees are looking to their employers more now than ever for truth and facts. 
more than they're looking at the media, more than they're looking necessarily at politicians. They're listening to them, but they really want to hear from their employer as well. And so I've found that engagement to be deep and very personal. Matt, one of the things you've done at your company that really impressed me over the years has been telling the stories of employees that have done something exceptional. Let's talk about some of the things you've done to serve. So you turned your group that's taking telephone calls over to try to track people in the community. So what are some of the other things that have occurred when you have more than 10,000 employees that aren't necessarily coming to work? How have you been able to deploy their skill sets? It's literally every week. We supplied over $1.5 million worth of medical PPE. We were the first company to do it through our purchasing network that was much needed here. We cook meals for first responders and for the homeless. We did 14,000 meals last week that we deliver in box lunches. For Florence Nightingale's birthday, we delivered cookies to all of our hospitals and all of our nurses. So each week we're doing new programs really to help in our community. And our people want to do it. So they love coming in in a socially distanced way. This is in the back of the house. We're working with our schools to feed our children with three square. So we're continuing to use our production kitchens. We're continuing to use our people to help when we can. We've had blood drives. The list really goes on and on. It's one of the things that we rolled out on March 15th is each week, what are we going to do to help our community? And that's been something that has been really uplifting for our employees. They absolutely love the feeling of giving back. I think everyone does, but seeing the impact that just continues to create the family environment that we're looking to achieve and I think have achieved in our company over the decades. Matt, I want to thank you for joining me today. And a lot of these companies such as yours are like part of my family. And I've been to most of the openings over the years, not just of when, but Mirage, Golden Nugget, and the previous companies that were related. And one of the keys was the preparation of the employees for that event and the customer service. As you know, the predecessor company, Mirage Resorts, in the late 80s, was the most admired company in the world in service. And I think that has carried over to win. And I look forward to seeing your success in opening these hotels in Massachusetts in Las Vegas, and in Macau. And when we see what the bioscience community has been willing to do, it only makes us more and more optimistic that in a matter of months, we will bring this under control. So once again, Matt, thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to visiting you in person. Thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed it, and thanks for everything you're doing. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or MilkenInstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.